Are you underutilizing one of the most powerful restaurant marketing tools on the planet? What do 92 million monthly Yelp searchers see when they land on your page? Is your content accurate and attention grabbing? Are you using every conversion tool possible to set yourself apart? Yelp is here to help. Go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to sign up for a one-on-one with a specialist that will review your Yelp page and share tips to help you stand out. Again, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to supercharge your Yelp page today. Now here we go how quickly you can produce food and how much food you can produce within a certain amount of time, how much food you can actually store, how much volume you can take on. So learning those things were very, very important before moving on to the next level and moving on to new locations. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. I always dreamed of being a successful restaurateur. In those grand visions from my youth, I must have missed the rubber apron hanging in front of my three-piece suit as I washed dishes in the scullery. And yet, there it was. Over the last 20 years of owning and operating restaurants, I felt like a prince and, at times, like a prisoner. Snoop Dillard has managed to escape that prison, creating a veritable empire of businesses while maintaining balance at home. Her path required as much strength as it did strategy, and today she shares what it took to break free from day-to-day operations. It was definitely to more so be a business owner versus to be self-employed. Because as you mentioned with Party Bus Kings, I was definitely self-employed. Like you said, I bought myself a business that if I did not work, it did not work. Actually, I got to the point where I could hire drivers. Now, I think essentially with every business that you build, you're going to have to put in some work. You're going to have to scrub the ground a little bit, even if it's just training the initial people that you're going to have operating the business. But definitely my next business was the Hookah Hideaway. And I started off being the general manager myself, not knowing anything at all. And I ended up hiring my first GM and essentially training him, teaching him everything that I knew because I knew that I did not want to have another situation like Party Bus Kings where I was a year, two years in, still essentially being self-employed, doing mostly everything myself. So yes, I definitely decided to do a 180 with that next business and create some more free time for myself and just create a business model that would run without me having to be there, essentially. There are two thoughts I have about what you just said, because I've been there myself. And so the first question is, I mean, was there fear associated with bringing on another manager only because like that's money you could have been putting in your pocket? So if you were paying yourself $50,000 a year and you were going to pay that manager $50,000 a year, you could just pay yourself $100,000 a year and do it yourself. So there had to be an element of fear or jumping into unknown waters to do that, right? Yes, there was slightly, but it was also the opportunity and the dream to be able to grow, to be able to have more than one restaurant. And you can only do that if you can build a team and a staff that you can eventually rely on. 
Let's talk about your management style because it's evolved over time. And when you talk about publicly the hookah hideaway, you say that that was the first business you had that you ran like by the book. Can you describe to me, one, what you meant by that, and two, how that management style differed from the way you had managed in the past? Yes. I would really say it's more so Escobar, you know, as I continue to grow and have, I guess, what by the book kind of means to me. But now the way that I do things is what I do is so I have a, a chain of managers. So I have my operations team. And I essentially manage my operations team. So I keep in really good contact with them. I hold the majority of my meetings with them and they hold their meetings with the other managers and they manage those managers. And it's kind of a hierarchy and some systems put in place. Hookah Hideaway is kind of where I first learned to start creating these systems and just continuously replacing myself. Because essentially at first, when I hired that first GM at Hookah Hideaway, I still was sitting in there every single day watching him like a hawk, you know. So now it's totally different. I have more freedom. Of course, when things aren't going as well as I would like them to go or the profit margins aren't where I want them to be, I do still pop up a little more than I have been. But that's kind of what I mean is relying on the systems and using the systems to work for the business. Now, talk to me about the educational process that it took to create those systems. Was there mentorship involved? Did you hire someone that could develop those systems or was it trial and error? It was more so trial and error. And if I knew what I know now, <laughs> I would have you know, tried to find a good consulting firm. I would have got with some other owners and really pick their brains a little more. I did have a couple friends of mine that were in the business that would give me some advice from time to time, but there was not a true mentorship. You know, today it's so easy to find courses. I mean, I even have them myself, courses and mentorships and There's just so much knowledge. You can literally just, I was here doing some work before I was speaking to you and just letting YouTube play and just hearing about whatever it was that I wanted to get more knowledge on. But I feel like when I was building my businesses and doing the groundwork to do so, there was not as much knowledge being shared. And it wasn't as easy to find one of these good consulting firms. So for me, it was a lot of trial and error and making mistakes and having to pay for them, which is why I tell a lot of my mentees, you know, hey, get a mentor who knows what they're doing so that you don't have to go down this same path. And your next venture is Escobar. You partnered with 2 Chains through a mutual connection on the project. And having a celebrity attached to a project, I'm sure has its pros and its cons. But the one thing that I know with absolute certainty is it might breed awareness, but it certainly doesn't create profitability. So I'm wondering, that plan for profitability, was that a collaborative effort or was that something you brought to the table and you were like, this is how we're going to execute this concept? It was definitely something that I brought to the table. And with him, his name, of course, gave us a little bit more media attention than we would normally have. But that can be good and bad because when you're in those younger years and you're learning, sometimes you don't want those mistakes highlighted. You want to learn and grow and get to the next level a little bit more under the radar versus live in front of everyone. But yes, it was definitely something that I brought to the table. It was funny because we was talking the other day and one of his good friends is in the process of trying to open up a bar and he was asking him some questions and he was like, man, I don't know anything about that. He was like, I couldn't 
create one of these without Snoop. So he was asking me a few weeks ago, hey, what's a bar bag? <laughs> you know, so our business relationship is a really good business relationship because he totally relies on me and trusts me to run the businesses. He doesn't necessarily take away from them in that aspect. And then he does use his platform to help bring awareness to to our locations. What does your day-to-day look like? Because you're running multiple operations, multiple concepts. Is it that 80 to 100 hour a week? Or have you figured out a way to like create a livable ecosystem for yourself? I've definitely figured out a way to create a livable ecosystem for myself. I think every week is totally different depending upon what I have going on. Not only do I run those businesses, the restaurants and my salon suites, but I've got a credit repair business as well, my courses, my mentorship. So depending upon how busy I am with those things really outlays my schedule. But on a general basis, I probably work about 30 to 40 hours a week. It's definitely not the 60 to 70 hours a week that I used to work. I don't think I ever did the 80 hours a week. I'm the type of person I have to get my rest. I have to be well polished. Otherwise, I can get pretty cranky (laughs) and not play the best attitude that I need to, especially with being in such a high stress, very detail oriented industry, such as the restaurant industry. So I think it's really, really important to have that balance. But to answer your question, Josh, my day-to-day, pretty much whenever I wake up, and and that's based upon my schedule, I am not a very early riser. So contrary to popular belief that a lot of CEOs and owners are up at six, seven o'clock in the morning, that is definitely not me. I generally wake up somewhere in the 9 a.m. hour. As soon as I get up, first and foremost, I check my emails. I look at our main form of communication with my managers and my operations team is group me. So I check all the group me's. I look over the sales and the numbers from the night before. And all of those things can take about an hour of my time. Then I generally move forward with whatever meetings, you know, I plan for myself. So there's five days in the work week, Monday through Friday. I try not to schedule anything at all on the weekends. The weekends are for enjoying my businesses and enjoying my family. Now, even when I do go out to the businesses, that's still a little bit of working for me because I'm still looking around, making sure that everything is being ran the right way. But back to my weekly schedule, I try to only hold meetings three days out of the week. So that's for my credit consults, my meetings with my mentees, my meetings with my operations team. So that stuff is done three days a week. I try not to schedule anything after 6 p.m. so that I can kind of have that family time and that time to debrief and unwind as the evening time comes. And then those other couple of days is generally for research so I can continue to sharpen my skills and continue to educate myself, as well as just having some me time and being able to look the part, get my nails done, hair done, (laughs) all of those good things. So Let's talk about expansion. So especially with Escobar, like you knew you had a good thing on your hands. It was busy. It was doing well. There are a couple of big fears with expansion, right? The first is, is that you went from having one job to two locations. Now you have two jobs. And the other is, is that no matter how successful the first location is, opening a second one can not only tank that location, but also the first one that you open. So there are these KPIs, right? There are these metrics internally that we're tracking to know when it's time to grow. What were those metrics for you? How did you make the decision to grow? 
when I had a, started having a little more time in my schedule, when I felt like I could pull back and it got to the point where I was working much less and needed something to do, <laughs> it's like, all right, well, it's time to expand. I think we've got this one down. Once sales got to where we wanted them to be, our food cost percentage, our alcohol cost percentage, our labor percentage was consistently where we wanted to be, which I would say led us in the successful realm of where I thought we needed to be, then I personally felt like that there that it was time to expand. As well as just listening to the clientele, you know, it got to the point where people were asking for other locations in different parts of the city. And so when that happens, you know you're on to something. And what did that growth process look like? Were there growing pains? Oh, or were there things you answered pretty fast there. Because yes, I still remember them. <laughs> but, Talk um, to me about that. Initially, especially with the restaurant, the heart of the restaurant is the kitchen. So learning how to grow the kitchen, making sure that the food came out consistently and it came out the same every single time. Because when we first opened up Escobar, the kitchen manager was the last person that I hired when essentially that should have been the first person that I hired. I actually put the menu together without even seeing the kitchen, without even seeing the size of it. So learning a lot of those things and how they correlate to the success of the restaurant and how quickly you can produce food and how much food you can produce within a certain amount of time, how much food you can actually store, how much volume you can take on. So Learning those things were very, very important before moving on to the next level and moving on to new locations. What do potential customers see when they go to your website? People eat with their eyes, and our website's menu is the best opportunity to turn page views into paying guests. That's why I'm so happy to introduce Pop Menu, the restaurant tool that turns more first-time guests into regulars. Pop Menu is the secret weapon of some of the best restaurant owners and operators in the industry. It's a full digital solution, creating dynamic, interactive menus that hook your customers from the start with a mobile-friendly design. Pop Menu gives us all the tools we need and puts the focus back on what matters most, our customers and our cuisine. With the changing landscape of our industry, we need tools that can serve the evolving needs of our restaurants. Pop Menu can take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month. Plus, you lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash full comp. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash full comp. I'm also curious to know, because I would argue that you're a master marketer. The marketing efforts don't start the day you open the restaurant. You guys do a lot in leading up to it, in building that momentum beforehand. Can you talk to me about what that strategy is and how you guys execute it? Sure. So before we even open, of course, you know, we're drumming up anticipation and that can even be from two chains dropping a line in one of his songs. And those are some of the things that I kind of push with him, but also just internally inside the restaurant, letting staff know we've got an internal email blast. We use a lot of advertising techniques from radio to social media to digital and just putting together a campaign and letting people know, hey, this is coming. We're increasing our brand. Even now, we haven't started working on our franchise disclosure document. However, people know that 
franchise opportunities are coming soon. So just literally starting six months in advance and releasing things and rolling them out before we even have them. And another thing that we do is we actually engage people in a part of the process. So as we're building out that new location, as we're looking for locations, we put all of that into our advertising as well, because it helps tie people in and want to be a part of that opening because, hey, I've watched them put this restaurant together. And it gives them some sense of pride in in celebrating, especially when you have that grand opening and open those doors for the first time. Well, for you, it's not just a financial investment. Like when I talk to people about you, one of the things that they said and said most consistently is that you don't just invest money, you invest time. You know the stakeholders in your community. You're at the neighborhood council meetings. You know the issues that are going on in the neighborhood. That's a very unique perspective for most restaurateurs to take. Well, I think it's very necessary because those neighborhood people are essentially some of your customers, or at least they should be. And you can't just come into a neighborhood or an area and put a business there and not be cognizant of and passionate about how it can affect that particular neighborhood. Well, and it reaps benefits, right? Can you talk to me about the benefits that you've reaped from that community activation on such a microscopic level? Yes, just definitely having that community support, being involved in and knowing when things are going to change in the community. For example, I have one restaurant in a particular area that when we get there, all of the parking was free. And now they're about to start implementing paid parking. Well, that's something really important as a restaurant owner that you need to know that's coming and that's going to change. But if you aren't engaged and involved, then that can hit you by storm or by surprise, and that can affect your clientele. In looking at what we'll call it the lifeline, right? Like the timeline of your professional life, there's a marked change. There's consistent effort throughout, but then there are consistent failures, then slight success, and then just consistent success from then on out. Have you looked back and said, these were the things that I did consistently that resulted in missed attempts or failures. And these are the things that I've done consistently that have led to consistent success. Yes. And a lot of things that I focus on is the failures, because I feel like that the failures, they really help you determine what it is that you've done wrong and really, really take that time to put a plan together and learn from those things so that you don't recreate those things in the future. So that for me is one of the things that I feel like I do a really good job on. I feel like I don't take enough pride in the successes and the things that are going well, because a lot of times they're going well and you just kind of keep moving. You know what I mean? When there's failures, you're feeling bad, you're down on yourself. And I think that that's a really good time to just take a look at what it is that was done wrong and learn from it and, and move forward. What are those things that were done wrong? If you could highlight just a few kind of generalized, universal mistakes that were made in those early days. I think just having trusted advisors doing things the right way, such as payroll, paying taxes, (laughs) um, (laughs) doing right by the IRS, the state, all of those things, you know, the things that can get you shut down, the things that can come after you and haunt you months and years later that can proved to be very, very expensive. Also, staying engaged enough in the business. And some of my earlier days, I had businesses that I really took my hands off of because I felt like, oh, okay, we're good now. I'll let the manager run it. But you still have to stay engaged. 
on some level, because at the end of the day, it's your business and nobody's going to run it the way that you would. I want to talk about style because you have this style, this iconic, fashionable look about you that I think we all get into this because we want to be that. And then, you know, the practical application is, is that I'm wearing a three-piece suit with a rubber apron on and I'm like (laughs) doing, doing the dishes in the kitchen. But you've managed to not just look the part, but be the part. And I've got to believe after so many challenges early on in your life into adulthood, the confidence had to play a role, the grit had to play a role. And can you talk to me about how you built that confidence despite the hardships you experienced early on in your life? I think you just really have to stay yourself. And I think a lot of my confidence has come from just endurance, tenacity, and overcoming adversity over years. I think the more things that you navigate and get through and overcome, it just helps to create a stronger person. And I feel like no matter what happens or what you're going through, you have to exude that confidence, especially when you're the leader, when you're the leader of an organization. And not just talking about being a boss, but actually being a leader. It's really important because, you know, who wants to follow someone or work for somebody that isn't confident? So all of those things are just extremely important. And for me, no matter what I'm going through, it's always very important that I not only look the part, but feel the part. On days when I don't, I just kind of stay in and keep to myself. I still work and work hard, but I don't step out as much, so... What's next? What are your goals for the next 12 months? The next 12 months. So the next 12 months, number one, well, I'm in the process of getting married. So family is really big right now. But business wise, I'm getting more into real estate, learning the ins and outs of developing. I purchased a couple of lots that I'll be working on developing. I always just speak on you can make money, but you have to invest. So whether it's in the stock market, businesses, real estate, whatever the case may be. So real estate, continuing to invest in tech. So currently waiting on Turo to release their IPO. I invested in them prior to going public. But continuing to just work with some of my venture capitalists and getting involved into things of that nature. I'm in the process of franchising Remedy Salon Suites. So we'll be opening up our third location next week. And then afterwards, I want to help other people open up their own salon suites because I feel like that is just such a great concept. It's not as stressful (laughs) as the restaurants, not as much paying attention to details, when you can really have a well-balanced life and make some good money running salon suites, but not have to be there all the time. So I think it's a, a great business model that I would like to be able to teach other people how to start and operate. So that's primarily what I'm working on as far as the restaurants. I'm looking to see what's going to happen with this economy. You know, we've got this new surgence of covid So waiting back, kind of seeing what's going to happen with that and just kind of strengthening the locations that I currently have. There's always something that you can continue to do to bring more success to what you have going on. I think that's a really great point, because when we talk about growth, typically we talk wide, not deep, right? That it's always about more locations instead of asking, have I maximized profitability in the locations that I currently have? Yes, yes. And also, I want to continue to work on my mentorship. So 
I probably have brought on about 16 mentees so far this year. I normally bring on about no more than about four to five each month. That's kind of what I can handle right now with the model that I have set up. But I want to continue to just help other people just spread the knowledge. You have a daughter. And knowing how hard it is to succeed in the hospitality industry, I'm wondering, do you hope that she takes over the family business? <laughs> I want somebody to take over the family business. <laughs> we'll see if it's the thing for her. She does work within the business. She does social media, and she also handles our reservations. But she'll be graduating from college within the next year as well. So, yes, I would like for her to take over the business if it's something that she can handle and if it's something that's for her. This is a business that you really have to be built for. You have to have a lot of thick skin. You have to have a lot of discipline. And I do plan on having more kids, so hopefully one of them will take over the business. Right on. It's an industry podcast, and at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? I would just say, keep pushing. Do everything with passion. Don't let anything stop you. We know that when it comes to building a business, building your brand, doing whatever it is that you want to do in life, we know that it's going to be hard. Nothing worth having is easy. And we hear this all the time. So as you navigate and move through whatever it is that you're trying to do, don't let anything slow you down. It's okay to take breaks. It's okay to take some me time. And it's okay to be selfish with yourself, but don't stop. That's Snoop Dillard. For more on Snoop's projects, visit whoissnoop.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.